Ladies and gentlemen, attention everyone. Welcome to No Picks After Dark. It's your boy Nick Burke, and you are now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world with Aaron Dante, giving you the hottest interviews with the dopest people, sharing their experiences from your neighborhood all around to the world. Voted Best Baltimore Podcast by you, the listeners. Now, your host, Aaron Dante. Yo, Aaron, talk to him. Welcome, folks, to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Can you believe it? Two years, folks. The first episode came out March 1st, 2019. Now we're here at March 1st, 2021. What an amazing journey. We have an amazing show for you today. Comedian Ivan Martin, lawyer Natasha Axelrod, Trevor White from VBS Tax and Accounting. And for the main event, artist is Aaron Fostel. I can't wait for you guys to hear her amazing story. We are also celebrating Women's History Month, folks. It is Women's History Month. We will be celebrating women all month. What's going on, Mr. Ivan Martin? Good morning, good night, good evening, good day, beautiful people. What's going on, Aaron Dante? What's going on? No picks out the dark and all the listeners, man. Happy to be back with us. Happy to be back with you on this beautiful Women's Month episode. Man, this is outstanding, man. We, we, we are still in a world pandemic. However, we are here, you know? And that's and sometimes, you know, that's just the most important thing. Now, it being Women's Month, that does not mean, fellas, listen, that does not mean at all that this is your time to go up to a woman and try to holler at her with some, hey, listen, now, in honor of Women's Month, I was thinking maybe, no, if you want to help a woman out on Women's Month, leave her the hell alone. Yeah, leave her alone. She is doing great without you. Leave her alone. Support a business. Go out and make sure that you spend money on things that help out nice organizations, nice businesses, nice corporations. Strippers. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But make sure you get out there. That's what's most important this month. Now, when I do say get out there, I mean literally get out there. Get out your house. Go have fun and make sure you put a mask on your face. All right. Make sure you put a mask on your face. That's right. And this is what I'm going to do for Women's Month. I got your back, ladies. I got your back. Check this out. Every single time I see a fella holler at a lady like she's having a great day, she on her things like, excuse me, miss, I'm going to just walk by and trip him. Like, as he's walking up to you, I'm going to just clip, clip. <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, sorry. How you doing? All right. Excuse me. Yep. That's going to be me. Happy Women's Month. Get out there. Enjoy yourself. Peace. All right, folks. And we'll be right back after these messages. Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness. For a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire and rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at andowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. Welcome back, folks, to the No Picks Ever Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante, and today we have Miss Natasha Axelrod, lawyer, legal expert, on the show. I'm so excited to have her on because she's going to be dropping some jewels and gems for everybody. So without further ado, Miss Natasha, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. I'm ready for you to just knock our socks off and bring the heat like you always do. Let's bring the heat. Women's History Month. 
Equal Rights Amendment. You might have heard of this. It's a proposed constitutional amendment that would guarantee legal gender equality for women and men. This is really grounded in the fight for women's rights, though, because it was initially proposed in 1923, kind of as a logical next step after the passage of the 19th Amendment, which, of course, gave women the right to vote. Then a number of years go by, it's back and forth, but 1972, Congress approves an Equal Rights Amendment, much like the one that was proposed in 1923. Well, not enough states ratify it. And so then in January 2020, though, Virginia becomes the 38th state to ratify it, which usually means this is enough to make it a part of the Constitution. This would have been our 28th Amendment. But because the deadline set by Congress had passed, five states had rescinded their approval, there's this political and legal fight going on, really fights. So this has not come to be part of the Constitution just yet. But what would this amendment do? Why do we need it? Why are people fighting for it? It would enshrine the principle of gender equality in the Constitution, and it would also prohibit gender discrimination in the Constitution. Those two things currently don't exist in the Constitution. And it's not that we haven't made progress with gender equality and women's rights. We've seen some protections under the 14th Amendment. We've seen other laws. Some state constitutions have a gender equality, principle of gender equality. But without a constitutional guarantee of equal rights on the basis of sex, the laws that do exist, they may be vulnerable and can be changed or repealed. They can be subject to weakening by the courts, for instance. Protections under the 14th Amendment haven't been consistent with one late justice even saying, no, 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 the 14th Amendment does not protect against discrimination on the basis of sex. So, and we still see gender discrimination today and inequality, think in the context of wages and employment opportunities. And so this would be another step, this amendment would be another step to guard against that, guard against discrimination and bolster and protect women's rights on a national level. So that's the Equal Rights Amendment. Nice, nice, nice. I was making sure. I was like, I didn't know. I know. It's like, wait a minute. I got to I got to say I'm done. <laughs> no, you were good. No, you were good. I was I didn't want to interrupt. I do not want to interrupt anybody dropping jewels and gems. Uh, again, how can we find you on social media? Now? I like good, good stuff. Social media, you, YouTube. I don't know why I'm starting with YouTube. Uh, Natasha Axelrod, the legal blonde. And on Instagram, at Natasha underscore Axelrod. No TikTok. No TikTok. Uh, I did. I did. I did a TikTok today. Also, really? It's pretty, it's pretty funny. Uh, but again, I got to check that out. <laughs> again, thank you so much, Miss Natasha Axrod, for uh, dropping those jewels and gems. We'll be and we'll be right back after these messages. This portion of the episode is sponsored by Maggie's Farm, located at four three four one Harvard Road. Celebrate Valentine's Day at Maggie's Farm. Featuring a three-course prefix menu for $55. Offering a unique menu for this special day that will include an amazing steak option, rockfish, handcraft cocktails, and many more delectable choices. Wine pairings for each course are available for just $20 more. Make this Valentine's Day unforgettable with Maggie's Farm Dining Experience. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. Welcome, folks, back to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. I'm not, we're on for our next segment, 
Mr. Trevor White from VBS Tax and Accounting. He's been dropping jewels and gems for all you folks out here during this accounting season. And, you know, this is one of the places where everybody keeps on wanting more and more and more. So without further ado, Mr. Trevor White, how are you doing today, sir? How you doing, brother? I'm good, good, good. Tell us what you got for us today. Man, it, it, so many people are in a weird position, especially businesses, small businesses. So I want to let everybody know about the PPP program and the changes that happened with the PPP program over the last week. Biden administration, along with the SBA, put a two-week exclusion, a 14-day exclusion for businesses with under 20 employees to be able to apply for the PPP program. There were too many people being excluded from the program, so the Biden administration put a 14-day moratorium from February 24th all the way to March 9th. Only businesses with under 20 employees are able to apply for the PPP program, and the banks can only process PPP applications for employers with under 20 employees. Not only did they put a moratorium for businesses with under 20 employees, but they also changed up the criteria so more sole proprietors and more contract workers that do tend to put too many deductions or put as much deductions as they can to lower their tax rate are now able to qualify for more revenue because they're going to allow them to calculate their gross revenue versus their net profit. And that is a huge, huge deal um, because a lot of small businesses, even though they make good money, they take expenses to draw that down so they don't have to pay as many taxes. So this week, PPP program, small businesses, it's all laid out for you. Go to the SBA, look up PPP program, call your local business bank, and talk to them about can you apply for the uh, PPP program. It's more money out there for you to have in the Biden administration along with the SBA laid it up for you so more people can get involved. Wow. Thank you so much for dropping that. Uh, I saw that on the news and I'm glad you explained it to our listeners. I know a lot of listeners have um, small businesses and one out here. So it sounds like there's something that can help businesses out down the road. looks like. Absolutely. Because, you know, so if you make a hundred thousand dollars in gross revenue, you're able to qualify for $20,000 in the PPP program, which is a, um, which is a forgivable loan. If you follow the criteria of the program. And that's a big deal for small businesses that are having trouble, you know, right now or had trouble last year economically. So this is something to fill the gap. But not only can you apply for the first draw of the PPP program if you didn't participate, you can also apply for the second draw. So you you possibly can get up to forty thousand dollars of a forgivable loan in two different draws from the SBA, well backed by the SBA through one of your business banks. But you can try Lindio.com, you can try um, PayPal, you can try um, uh, Cabbage. There are a number of um, FinTech banks that are participating in these programs, and then you can also go to your business bank. So even if you don't have a small business, if you're even if you're a contractor, if you're a 1099 worker, tell your friends to look up the criteria for the PPP program. If you follow Schedule C on your tax return, you may be able to qualify for the program. So just look into it. Thank you so, thank you so much. Where can we find you on social media? You already know Mr. Tax Pro on IG. You can go to my website, dbstax.com, or you can email me um, at twhite at dbsaccounting.com, or we're right on Liberty Road, 6004 Liberty Road.
Hey, folks, I thank you so much, Mr. Trevor White. I know he's very busy. He's, it's, it's, just, it's his money season, so I got to get in where I fit in. So we appreciate you coming in, sir. Appreciate you. All right, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. No Picks After Dark podcast is sponsored by the Charm City Craft Mafia, Baltimore's best local craft fair, presenting Pile of Craft, a virtual craft show on the last Saturday of April, featuring handmade stationery, apparel, jewelry, ceramics, wall art, body care, small batch food gifts, and more. Crafted by makers in Baltimore and the region. Pile of Craft will be on April 24th, 2021. For more information, please go to charmcitycraftmafia.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Charm City Craft Mafia. All right, welcome back, folks. Again, my name is Aaron Dante, and I'm the host of No Pigs at the Dark Podcast. And I'm so excited to have the guest of all guests on. You know, this, this, this lady is doing big things in Baltimore. You know, every time I look up on social media or anything, I mean, she's had an awesome photo shoot in Baltimore art spread that was awesome. I mean, our art's amazing, and I, I, I've become a fan. And I really like to talk about everybody who's doing great things in Baltimore and doing great things in the art field and the creative side. And like I said, I'm a little unfamiliar with it, but I'm, get, I'm learning. I'm getting my feet wet in the art scene. So without further ado, Miss Erin Fostel, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> uh, she's, she's big time, folks. We got her here. You know, it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get her on the show. But we got we got her here, though. We got her here. <laughs> and like she's a well, like I said, world-renowned, Baltimore-renowned, just awesome artists, okay? You know, creative, everything that you, it's just really, really cool things that she's doing out here. And I'm so happy you could be on the show. I'm happy that you can share your story to the audience. All right. So tell a little bit about people about yourself. I mean, I'm done talking. This is your show now. Oh, go ahead. The mic over to you. This is your <laughs> show. So tell me what's going on. Where are you from? Give me a little background about you. Uh, all right. Well, um, I am from Baltimore. My family has been here for a long time from like South Baltimore, Locust Point. Um, I am a trained artist. I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art. Um, I graduated in 2004 and I've been sort of, I guess, putzing around the Baltimore art scene since then. Uh, but my medium of choice is charcoal. I do charcoal drawings that are uh, pretty representational. If uh, you were to see them in a digital manner, like through like Instagram or my website, a lot of times people think that they are photographs, but they are actual drawings. They're really not super photographic, but I guess I fool people enough through the internet. Um, but yeah, no, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you're from Baltimore, Charm City. So what is your favorite childhood growing up in Baltimore? I always ask people who are from Baltimore, what is your favorite memory? You and I are about the same age. And so, I, I mean, I, I, for my memory is growing up in Baltimore was old can, uh, Oriole State Memorial Stadium. Mm. And that was like my fondest memory. The Inner Harbor when it first opened up downtown, the gallery, not open up, but the Galleria downtown when it was like the cool mall thing to go to. What about you growing up in Baltimore? Um, as, as I've had a lot of conversations with people who are from the area or new to the area, I realized that my Baltimore experience, maybe everybody's Baltimore experience is a little bit unique. Um, even though I have, you know, grew up in the city, my family lived in the middle of the woods. Like we lived within the city limits, but in the woods, my dad was an architect and he built a house on this like parcel of land. So 
I grew up in like this crazy house in the middle of the woods. And so a lot of my time, you know, spent was outdoors, just like playing hide and seek with my brother in like this wooded lot and just like running free and just hanging out outside, you know, all times of the year. Um, so like that was a big part of my childhood. But then I also would go visit my grandmother who lived in South Baltimore and I would get sort of that, you know, old South Baltimore kind of vibe to it. And, you know, whenever my mom would take me like shopping for, for instance, like a graduation dress or something like that. Like we would go to like Highland town. Um, so like I would get like that sort of old style of Baltimore as well. Um, but then my grandfather lived in a house off of, I think like an inlet off of the Chesapeake Bay. And so I spent a lot of my time during the summer, like hanging out, like bored out of my mind, um, but still hanging out like on the end of a pier, pulling, you know, crabs up in a crab pot. So I think I had a little bit of like a true Maryland childhood, you know, like living by the bay. And then I had a little bit of the old Baltimore childhood and then like the random living in the middle of the woods, kind of free spirited childhood. So I had a very unique, I think, Baltimore experience. I like that. I like that. You, you get that's a well-rounded right there. You brought the crabs involved in it in Highland Town. So you get, yeah, you definitely gave that. That's a great description, folks. For those who are listening outside of Baltimore, that's a really great description of Maryland, really. I really like that. So art. I mean, when I grew up, art was like everybody take art class. You, you know, I did petite. I did so many little different art classes in, in high school because I was like, oh, I think I'm an artist. Like I'm creative. I can do a couple of things. But um, for you, like, was that something, was there like a family member? I mean, you say your dad was architect, so mm-hmm. that, that involves a little bit of drawing and sketching, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. What, is, what was like, what, like, how did you get involved in that? I mean, you say you live in the woods, did you, did you, really, did you just pick up a cra- like a marker or a pencil and draw in the woods? Or I did read something, and maybe I may be wrong, you, was well, something with soap operas or something like that, right? Or was I wrong? It's like a... Yeah, no, I used to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so even though I, I spent a lot of time hanging out with my brother in the woods, um, we didn't have any neighbors. So there were no kids to hang out with and play with when we were little. And so, you know, I'm really close in age with my brother, like love him to death now. But when we were kids, like, it'd be like a love hate relationship. Sometimes we would be like, let's go out and play. And sometimes you'd be like, I want to kill you. And then <laughs> our moms would send us to our rooms. You know, you start fighting and your mom sends you to your room. So I remember a lot of time spent in my room, either from like being bad or just like being bored, not having something else to do. And when I was in my room, you know, this is time before you know, uh, iPads and fancy gadgets, and there's no TV in there. There was one TV for like the whole family. So I just found myself in my room and I had to, you know, just sort of uh, entertain myself. And a lot of times that meant that I was just sitting down drawing something, whether it be like a little story or just some like picture of something, or my grandmother had lent me her typewriter And I would sit there and I would punch out for hours these soap operas. And just like my parents would joke with me and they'd be like, Aaron's going to write a novel and then we're all going to be taken care of for the rest of our lives. (laughs) So, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Homework on that. See, I did a little homework. I saw something with the soap operas. I was like, let me, I got to ask her. I feel like I got out soap operas. Because I grew up when my, my, my grandparents and after school, we would sit there and watch General Hospital. And that was my soap opera of choice. So it's always something. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I didn't grow up watching any. Like, my mom wasn't into soap operas, um, and my grandmother wasn't into soap operas. Um, I think I would only ever see them if I, like, went to, like, the doctor's office and they were on in the lobby or something. But I don't know. There's something innate about that drama that you just, like, you can make it your own. Like, you, like you're just, you know, especially as a kid, you're very into stories and you're very into, like, the theatrics of something. So, yeah. Okay. So, okay, so we, we covered, you went to Micah for, for college, and as a Maryland Institute of College of, Art, of Arts, is that correct? Am I yes. wrong? Okay. All right, and that's a really, really <clears throat> a popular place to go. A really, really, really great art school. Um, I had uh, another our creative on the show, Annie Howell. She went to school there also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, it sounds like a really cool place. Everybody goes there. So, tell me about, like, so what did you do, like, internship-wise, like, for college or stuff like that um well at school um I remember the thing that took me to Micah was that I wanted to learn how to make uh graphic novels or children's book stories like I wanted to be an illustrator for stories because you know I've been writing these soap operas and I was like oh this seems like a great you know way to go about art is to you know um illustrate different stories and stuff like that and so that's what took me to Micah um, and I was very fortunate that, uh, you know, Micah is like, I'm from Baltimore and like Micah is just here, like this just amazing school is here, but I wasn't initially supposed to go to Micah. Like my last year of high school, I was like, I need to get the hell out of Baltimore. I need to leave this state and flee. And then, um, I was supposed to go up to Massachusetts to a school and at the very last minute, I decided not to go. Um, and so I ended up taking a year off between college, between high school and college. Um, and then in that year off, I ended up falling in love with a boy who went to Micah. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it's okay to stay in Baltimore. <laughs> and so um, I ended up applying and getting in. And, you know, the first the first year or two were definitely a little bit of a struggle because it's, you know, I was surrounded by people who are exceptionally talented. Um, Micah is a very good school and a lot of the kids who go there come in with serious skill. And I didn't have serious skill. I didn't feel like like I had a background of some sort in, you know, training in the arts, but I was very out of my depth, like very fish out of water. Um, but it was great because I found an environment there that was uh, encouraging and also competitive. And so it really made me think that, like, I wanted to be really, really good at something and I was going to spend my time there getting good at that thing. And so that's what I did for four years was I decided that I was going to learn how to draw really well. And so at the end of those four years, you know, I wanted to say, this is what I spent my time doing. And when I graduated, I had achieved that. And I had this skill at drawing with charcoal that I set out to do, um, which I didn't realize other people had noticed while I was doing it. But I remember um, one of the last days before graduation, a classmate of mine had come up to me and they had been, I think, in the general fine arts group, which just means you can do any of the types of art that you want to do all at once. And he had sort of dabbled in different types of things. Like he had, you know, learned some computer stuff, learned some 
you know, welding, learned how to use tools. Like he kind of had like a very well-rounded education, which sounded perfect. Like I was like, oh, you can do all this shit that I don't know how to do now. Um, but he was like, but you, like, you went and did this one thing really well. And he was like, that was such a good idea. And I was like, oh, good. I wasn't doing something crazy. I had made a good decision. And like, you know, other people had noticed and I felt really good about it. Cause you know, Micah is not a cheap school. <laughs> no, 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 it's not cheap at all. Yeah. Yeah. So to have gone and then graduated with an at like a set skill or a set thing that I you know technically could do like felt really important for the amount of money that I would be you know spending on that education wow oh, sorry about that so here's the question for you Micah um can you hear me yeah okay so Micah I have um <clears throat> I had a couple people on the show <clears throat> from Micah I, I, I want to give them a shout out real quick because I know they're listening because uh, I, because if I, I said only anyhow, I was on my show. I was Val Lucas, who is in Charm C Craft Mafia. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. See, I had to get a shout out because I knew it was uh, and Whitney and Whitney Cecil also who was in Charm C Craft. So I, I want to give them a shout out because I know they were like Aaron forgot all about us. No, no, I didn't forget about y'all. <laughs> so you're around these amazing, amazing people. You come in there, you're doing your thing. They noticed you. You're like. Hey, I think, and then you're like, all right, I, I can do this. I can, I can roll with these guys. You know, I can roll with these people in here. So like, was there like, after you graduated, like, was there like an internship or is like, when did you were like, all right, do you, like, you know how people like, when you get out of college, you got to get nine to five. You got to get that. You know, that was the old way of thinking. You got to get that banker's hour. You got to get that good insurance. Yeah. <clears throat> was there any pressure from your family to saying, Hey, you know, do what you got to do. Or did you have to find a job right away? Like, was there a big pressure for you? Yes. Yeah. My, um, I think I had a conversation with my mom a few weeks before graduation and she was like, so, uh, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do when you graduate? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I guess I'll probably just find a day job that has flexibility and then I'll work in my studio at night. And I really wish that somebody either, you know, I mean, my mom's job is to make sure that like I'm taken care of, you know, she wants me to be, she wants me to be good. Um, but I really wish that I had had somebody at that time that was just like, Aaron, you don't need to do that. There's like other ways to go about it, but that's definitely what I did. I was like, okay, I need to get a day job and I need to be able to support myself. Um, cause I lived at home while I was going to Micah. Cause I was like, I'm not going to, spend money on an apartment when I can commute to go to school. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, then I'm out of school and I'm like, I need to move out of this house immediately. <laughs> uh, and in order to do that, you know, I had to, I had to have an income that would support, you know, living on my own and all that. So I think when I was my last semester at Micah, I had been interning at a gallery slash slash frame shop. It's a Fleckenstein gallery. It's run by Terry Fleckenstein, um, who is a wonderful, wonderful person and an amazing framer. Um, she's still a friend to this day and she frames all of my drawings now. Um, but I did an internship with her and I worked with her for a little bit. Um, and then after that, I went to work at the Walters and I did an internship in their education department. 
um, which was really cool because I had never been behind the scenes in a museum before. And so there I was working in one of the offices and I was just sort of like hanging out like the back hallways and, you know, that felt really nice. Um, and so I just sort of moved from like this gallery job to a museum job. And then um, I landed this job with an art dealer. And I was like, ah, all of my dreams have come true. I'm working for an art dealer, I'm making work. Um, but that art dealer turned out to be the worst job I've ever had um, because it was, uh, I worked for people who are not nice and it was a miserable job. Um, so that sort of taught me that even though I had like a job in the arts, you know, that's not necessarily a healthy alternative. Um, so thankfully after that, I landed a job that I had for, uh, 14 years up until last year that I just kind of fell into, but it was always a thing that I was like, I need to have a steady income so that I do not have to worry about making an income off of art. Cause I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to make that a, uh, doable, livable thing, because nobody had told me that I could do that or told me how to do that. It's interesting you say that, because I asked uh, Val and Whitney about that, because they were artists also, just like yourself. And, and I said, you know, it's, you learn all this great stuff about art and like create, being you know, creative. And the hardest part is the financial part. It's finances. How do you support yourself doing this? You know, how do you say, I want to be my own boss? You know, I want to do my own thing. You know, how do you do that yourself? And I always wonder, like, was there any classes at Micah that taught you, like, business savvy? You know, you would think that should be like a mandatory class. Yeah. Yeah, it might be now. Um, I have friends that teach, friends that I went to school with at Micah that are teachers there now. They teach a class called, uh, I think it's like professional development. Okay. And in that class, they are teaching the students, like, um, you know, presentation of your portfolio. So like building a website, writing your artist statement, you know, and resume and all that other kind of stuff. But I think it also is really mentally preparing students for like what's going to happen outside of an institutional setting. Um, because you literally like you don't unless you happen to know people who run a gallery or are an artist themselves, like you don't have this input. Um, and there's no, at least when I was going to school, which, and this was like, you know, feeling like the yonder days now of like, I graduated in 2004, but there was no like mentorship program. There was no connection with like University of Baltimore for like business classes. There was no like sort of communication about like how you do art as a business. And I think it was because it was very taboo, like art was not business. It was for the sake of being art, but that's, you know, that's definitely some bullshit. So. No, that, that makes sense what you're saying. Cause I'm thinking about it right now. I remember like when I, so I graduated from college in 03. So I was like a year before you. Yeah. And I remember like my first paycheck, I was so like, yeah, I got my first paycheck. And then I realized how broke I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause then all of a sudden the bills came in. You're like, they didn't tell me about this. There was no light. There was no, even like, you know, there was no lessons 101 of like life. Like, yeah. I mean, I would have taken that class right away and be like, all right, this is the building. Do you know, how do you budget yourself? And I think that should be mandatory, even back to high school, to be perfectly honest. And how that should be so people can succeed in life. Cause that's what's, that's what's missing. You know, that's what's missing. So 
how are you, how do you have time to do your art? Like you're working at the Walters, you're working with these crazy art dealer guys. How do you, where does charcoal come from? Like, where does this all intertwine? Like you're, you're working, where do you even get a studio? Like, where's that financial? How does it even happen? Because we want to take a peek behind the curtain and see how that this all happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, artists are tired people. <laughs> like they, <laughs> uh, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends who, if they don't teach, you know, and their teachers either in, I have friends that teach in Bomber City Public Schools and elementary classes. I have uh, friends that teach at private high schools. I have friends that teach at the college level. Um, and, you know, that kind of day job is very exhausting. Um, and a lot of times, especially if you're like an adjunct college teacher, you are hustling a lot of classes in order to get paid, you know, something that's a sustainable living. Um, my route, uh, I just fell into uh, more of a corporate job. I went to work for a company that um, was, it's really like the driest thing possible <laughs> to talk about because it was a company that put tests on the internet. Um, but they were a really wonderful group of people. Like I worked with like really exceptional people. I got paid well enough that I didn't have to worry about money and I had health insurance um, and I had a flexible schedule. So I had a boss who was a friend and she was like, if you need off to go do this art thing, just let me know and we'll work it out. Um, and so even within that wonderfully flexible schedule that I had, you know, I would be leaving work and, you know, after like a seven to eight hour shift, sometimes 10 hours, depending on how busy the day was, because, you know, it's a busy job. So sometimes you got to put in overtime. Um, but I would then go to the studio. So my studio time was always after my day job time. Um, so like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night, I would be in my studio. Um, but I was fortunate enough to have one day of the week off. So I could be Wednesday in my studio all day. But you just have to find time around, you know, the thing that I guess sustains you financially in order to make your work. And like, you know, you're working on Saturday, Sunday, you're working anytime you literally can work. Um, and if you are financially able to, you'll have a studio space that's outside of your home um, if you want, like depending on what kind of work you make that's required. So if you're like an uh, oil painter or if you um, make these like really big elaborate sculptures and you need like a 2000 square foot, you know, warehouse space to make them, um, you got to find some sort of like studio space. And I was fortunate enough that I sort of fell into a few different wonderful spaces while I was holding that full-time job. And so sometimes I would go right from work directly to the studio and I would just like pack a dinner and I would just, you know, I would leave, leave the home at like 8 a.m. and I wouldn't come home until like 11 o'clock. Um, and it was, you know, like, it was a long day, but it's two very different kinds of work. And so it is sustainable for a period of time, especially if you're really, if you feel okay about all the things that you're doing, like you feel okay at your day job and you're excited about the stuff in the studio, um, you can make it work, but you definitely will reach a breaking point at some point. And it's just, you know, <laughs> it can be a bit much. So, okay, I, I don't know. So this is me asking, because, I mean, you're going to navigate us through, through everything, the listeners. How much does the studio cost? I mean, I, I mean I'm mean, i just finding, I'm, I mean, what's the range of a studio cost? 
from from then, back in 2004, 2005, 2006, to now, 2019, 20, right now. What's the range? I mean, say if I wanted a simple studio, nothing, nothing, nothing no ritz or glitz or glamour, I just need a room. What, yeah. A room. So what would you say? Um, the cheapest, stu- the cheapest I've ever spent on a studio was like, how much? It was like $190 a month. Um, and it was a nice space, but it was real small. Um, and then my last studio space that I had before I moved back home, I moved my studio back home was $225 a month. And I shared a space with three other people. Um, but I had, I had a ton of room. Um, but I was in a space that had no air conditioning, which, you know, Baltimore, July and August and September in a warehouse space with windows that don't really open. Um, (laughs) that's, that's you in like a sweat box, losing some weight. Um, and then in the middle of winter, like there is heat there, but oftentimes it is not enough heat to really, you know, numb the bone chill that you get. Um, and so like, you know, you can probably find some level of affordable space, but you're definitely dealing with, you know, some level of discomfort while you're there. Um, I'm pretty sure the last space I was in was not up to code. Um, (laughs) like, uh, you know, artists often are sort of, you know, kind of stuck with make and do with what we can get. And so, you know, a lot of times we are in places that are not up to code. We're in places where, you know, people are taking advantage of what we need. Um, but it's just like everybody else in the world trying to make it like you're just, you do, you do with what you can do. That, that That's, that's real talk right there. And that's what I want people to understand. Like <clears throat> the trials and tribulations you guys have gone through. I mean, this sounds crazy. I mean, like you said, Baltimore in the summertime, August, forget about it. You sweating it out. You and wintertime, that that when that I call it the hawk. When that wind blows, it's it's cold out there. So yeah. I get it. I get it now. With three of you guys sharing a studio. I mean, basically you had to share what time you're gonna be in there, or could you guys all be there at one time? Or was it set up where or one had to be there at one time, or you had to schedule like Monday and Tuesday, I'm here Wednesday, Thursday. How did that work? Uh, I mean, it was a big space. So we definitely all had room to be there at the same time. Um, But that wasn't always the case because sometimes our schedules would shift and it just depended on what project was happening. But I was there a lot with one of my studio mates. um, And honestly, that was really nice because it was, you know, a lot of times sitting in your studio can be quite a lonely thing if you're just hanging out there by yourself. Um, So it's nice to sometimes have company to just have somebody else who's also working on whatever they're working on, kind of pushing through, drinking that coffee or whatever after like a day of work and just, you know, making something. It's good to have that camaraderie. Now, this um, this is a question that I've I've run into with a lot of people and um, you've been in the game for a while, so you understand it. You said you have a studio at home right now, right? Your your studio's at home. Yeah. Which do you prefer? Because I've heard that people are more creative outside the house because when they're all in one, it's a little bit difficult. Sometimes they say artists have to get out and go somewhere and get that, get their, get their mind working. Do you see, I mean, I guess the pros would be your home. You're paying for it already. It's free. You're already paying for what you're paying for. Hell yeah. But, <laughs> but do you see like, do you see your creativity 
go down being at home or do you see it getting expanding better or like what are your thoughts about that because i've heard people say man i, I have a podcast you have to get out because i need, I need to get my creativity i need to sit there and just chill and get the vibe or i have heard people say man, i'm in the house I, I, i'm good i'm so i mean from an artist standpoint what, what are your thoughts and what have you seen I think it depends. And I think uh, for the same artist, it can shift based on where they are in their life or where they are in their career. Um, I've had spaces uh, in like really nice sort of uh, studio places, um, some like not so nice studio places. I worked in a basement where I couldn't really stand up fully because like I'm a tall lady and the basement was like right at my head. Um, And so you know, the spaces that I've had outside of the home have been really awesome. And it's, you know, it's a very, it does feel a lot more like professional to be like, come visit me at my fancy warehouse space where you can see, you know, this 25 foot wall and these like beautiful, you know, glass block windows that give great light, but don't open in the summertime. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely this hump that you have to get over where you're like, one thing is more professional than the other. Um, personally, right now, I love having my space at home because when I did work in the studio, like I would have to pack like lunch, snacks, mm. sometimes dinner. And so I would be commuting to another space and I'd have to like, just, you know, prepare a lot. Um, whereas here, like I can just move in and out of my studio as I want throughout the day and I can work any time of day I want. I can work Monday through Sunday. It doesn't matter. It's like whatever feels good. Um, and that's really working for me right now because my studio practice feels like an extension of my life. And so I don't need them to be separated. But a lot of times an artist needs that separation because, you know, you want to be able to chill at home and not think about work. And so then you want to have everything outside of the house. Um, And that I definitely support because like it is it can be hard to have boundaries on what you are thinking about and what you're working on. Um, And so, yeah, but I know people who are like really fancy artists that have like the gigantic studio space plus another one next door. And then I have friends who are at the same level in their career and they just have like a spare room in their house. And it's just like, whatever works for you. And um, I find that the biggest hump for me was just getting over the idea that one was more professional than another. And I'm using the air quotes on professional that you can't see. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It's all good because I, I'm glad you answered that. That that helped me out because I mean, there I've heard so many different ways of things are doing. Like, do you have a do not disturb <clears throat> Aaron's in the studio like sign outside your outside your studio in your house? So like nobody knocks on your door. Like, do you turn your phone off? Do you just are you like is it like is there a certain type of thing that you set up in your house now? Because you're like you're, I'm used to your studio that you have a privacy. Like, do you have like a do not disturb meeting in progress sign or uh-huh. something like that? Yeah, I do have on the door right now, Zoom meeting in progress. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and some days I do put my phone on silence, like if I just want to uh, not be disturbed and just work. Um, but like right now is really weird because uh, this was my first year being full time as an artist. I quit my day job at the end of last year. So 2020 was supposed to be like a new beginning for me. And, you know, that quickly went down the drain. Um, but I am, you know, sharing a house right now with someone else working from home. 
And he is like usually quite busy. So he's not coming in and out of my space, like seeing <laughs> what I'm doing, because he is very in, you know, enthralled with what he's up to. And so I don't have to really worry about putting up that blockage or barrier um, because like everyone in my house is just working on what they're working until dinner time usually. All right, folks. And we'll be right back after these messages. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. So, okay, let's let's talk about charcoal drawing. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, is it, I mean, I don't, I want you to, yeah, explain charcoal drawing. Explain it to the audience. <laughs> uh, well, charcoal is, uh, I guess it's like the oldest medium used to make art maybe like they were using charcoal in like cave paintings i think um it is one of the cheapest kinds of mediums that you can buy it's also one that you can easily make um and it is the because it is so cheap it's the one that you often will learn when you're you often will use when you're learning how to do like life drawing in school so like every student who's been in an art class has used charcoal to some degree um, that's how I was introduced to it was it was just what you were using when you were doing that figure drawing for the first time. And over time, I just really loved it. Like it's a very versatile medium. Um, you can put it down, you can make it dark, and then you can erase it pretty well. And there's a lot of like push and pull you can do and you get your hands dirty a little bit. And that's really satisfying. Um, and I love that it's black and white only. So the only thing I'm thinking about really is tonal values. And I'm really pushing and pulling on them, but I don't have to worry about color. Like I love color, but also like, I don't really care about color. I love the quality of light and like, you know, the tonal values of gray. Um, so charcoal has been just a really wonderful medium to work with in that, you know, regards. Nice, nice. So I, I, I might've read this, I was doing my homework. I was doing my homework here. So <laughs> gotta get, gotta give you legit. So when, you had something where you took a picture of a stairwell, I think, and then you redrew the stairwell and people thought you like were there in the stairwell making the drawing at the same time. Was, is that something you've done in the past? Maybe it was one that it, it was beautiful. Cause you were like, it was amazing what you, some of the work you've done. Like, it's just like, you feel like you're in that stairwell doing it. And I think it was somewhere you took a picture of it and you did it. And it was like an amazing thing. Do you normally take, do you normally do your work like on, on scene? Like if you're somewhere or do you take a picture of it and then bring it back and then do your art? Uh, like what's your, what's, what's your thing? Like, how do you do your art? I work entirely from photographic reference. Okay. That's, that's, that's what I was looking at. All yeah. right. That's what so I was talking about. I take, uh, I take photos and then I come back to my studio and um, I sort of usually if, usually if I know a thing that I want to take a photo of, I'll go out and photograph it during whatever time of day I like. And I'll get like 20 to 30 to 40 pictures of it. And then I'll come back and I'm just taking these pictures with my phone. I don't even have like a fancy camera. I'm just using whatever mm. fancy phone I've got at the time. 
and I'll come back home and I'll like play around with it in Photoshop and pick a picture that I like. And then I'll draw that picture. So I work entirely from photographic reference in my studio. Um, yeah, so I don't, I do not draw from life generally. I think I have ADD and I probably would be like so lost in the scene and like the cars going by and everything. And I would just, I'd be there for like weeks just trying to get one little thing done. Um, so I really do enjoy sort of like bringing the thing back to the studio and then spending quiet time in the studio creating the art. That's, that's, that's cool. Thank you for giving us a little peek behind, like understanding what you, what's your process and how you do things. Like, so when you, like, even when you were growing up, like, I mean, was there anybody in your family that drew I mean, I know we talked about a little bit, but any friends, like, like, is there something like that was like that you just, I mean, cause to me, it's a talent. That's ta that's talent to me. <laughs> so, I mean, not everybody can do that. I can't just pick up and just do what you're doing. But to me, like, was there somewhere like that you knew that you had, I, mean, you, I know you said in college, but didn't, did you know it that you had something like you had a gift? That's what I said. I would call it a gift, a talent. Did you know that like younger when growing up, like would you sketch around when you're in high school and like do some great drawings and be like, ah, that's whatever. Like, do you look back at any old stuff and like, damn, I actually, you probably don't like it now, but you're like, I see my progression from, from when I started to know where I am there right now. Yeah, I think um, I really loved all the people in my life who encouraged me to make anything because I definitely was not good at it. Okay. <laughs> like I was not exceptional at it whatsoever, um, but I just really loved doing it. And I think the, you know, especially the adults around me saw how much I enjoyed doing it. And they were like, oh, okay, Erin's really into this thing. Let's get her the pads of paper. Let's get her the markers. Let's just like encourage her to keep going. Mm. And even when I was at, you know, high school applying to go to art schools, like my portfolio was not banging. Like it was <laughs> like I was not exceptionally talented at anything. I was OK. I just, you know, I, I dabbled in a lot of different things um, and I had, you know, interest. But I think the thing that took me from, um, you know, just having like an interest in it to really persevering and making you know really coming out of micah with this skill was that I, people just encouraged the hell out of me to do it um and i remember like when i was really little and working on just like random school projects with my dad like he would get so into them and i think the fact that he was really into it then i would get into it and then we would sit there for like beyond hours and hours and hours and like make you know whatever little project and then I take it into school the next day and like nobody else spent as much time <laughs> on the piece mm -hmm. as like, you know, my dad and I did. And I think that that was a really, you know, it didn't really matter how good I was at it. It was just that I was doing it and that people thought it was interesting and good. Um, and so encouragement really goes far, even if you don't necessarily have the talent there just having, you know, parents or teachers be like, oh, it's really cool that you can do that thing. Like that means so much to a kid, so much. So, yeah. But my dad, though, um, growing up, like because he was an architect, you know, he spent a lot of time making drawings on computers because at the point where I was born, like he was no longer drafting them with like pencils and drafting film and stuff. So it was all computer based. 
but in the house were these like old models that he had built from like, you know, previous jobs that he had done, or maybe from like his school days. And so I always sort of had like some like form of like creation kind of always around. But a few years ago, I did a show at Goucher and it was um, kind of a, a, a pairing of my drawings that I did of Baltimore. And then they were about my dad because he passed away in the end of 2014. And I paired it with this little mini museum of objects from my dad's life. And I had like everything from his baby shoes all the way to like an etching of his gravestone um, because he was kind of a hoarder as was my grandmother. And so I just had so many objects of his life just to sort of go through. And I realized after seeing drawings that he had made not only in high school, but in college, that we had such a similar disposition of drawing. And so I don't know if like that was just an innate thing that I got from him just because, you know, I have like a little bit of his personality probably, but it was really cool to just like have that experience of seeing like my work up on the wall next to, you know, his old drawings and just being like, oh shit like it makes perfect sense how this got from there so that was really cool that that's thank you for sharing that story that's that's a great story thank you for sharing that i really appreciate that that's really cool that is really cool um so the art art scene how did you come on to the baltimore art scene i mean i mean i've asked people around and people know who you are people say aaron foster oh yeah she's good she's good at what she does (laughs) You know, so again, you know, you got to do your research and development. You got to you go out in the streets and find out in the COVID world. You got to go out there and, and ask around. But everybody I asked has had nothing but high praise for you. So kudos to you. And, um, you know, as, as young people say, we go and give you your flowers. And that's like, you know, the celebration of things. So uh, where, when did you hit the Baltimore art scene? When did you when did the world find out your name? Like when did this all of a sudden all start coming together? I know you say you work in. 14 years, just left your job a year ago, but this happened all over time. So what was the first time when you're like, I'm I'm starting to hit that stride. I'm starting to, like, I'm starting to get, you know, get there. I'm starting to, my name is starting to come in conversations. People want me to come and do an exhibit at their show. See, people want me to, like, when did you start feeling that? When did that start? Like, all right, I'm doing something in the right direction. Yeah. Um, Well, after I graduated from Mike, I had been showing periodically at different sort of places around Maryland. But I would say I really fell into the scene more or not really fell into. I jumped into it more. uh, Probably I'd say in like 2015 um, because I was newly single and I was just getting over in the same year my marriage of 12 years or my relationship with 12 years and my dad both died like my dad died and I got divorced in the same year it was a real fucking heavy year the following year I was like fuck it I'm living my life as hard as possible right now and so I was just like I want to know what's going on and I decided to just show up wherever I could go and so I went everywhere I went to every opening that was happening Um, I walked into rooms where I didn't know a single person and I just like showed up and I started making friends and I started, you know, people started noticing that I was showing up everywhere. And I think that that is a really big part of, you know, being in the community is just showing up 
and just, you know, being part of an exhibition that's happening or a play or a musical performance or anything like the thing that we all value so much is when people show up to do, you know, to, to witness the things that we have made or our performances. And so I just showed up everywhere. Um, and I think that was when I really started to feel like a member of the community and when people really started to sort of know me as a person. And then I think about a year or two after that, I had my first solo show. And that's when people were like, oh, Aaron makes these drawings. Um, and so then I was like, okay, this is great. Now people know, you know, not only that I'm like a good supporter of what's happening, but that like I do some of my own cool shit too. So it's probably for the last, I would say like five years, that it's really felt like I'm sort of coming into my own, especially like in Baltimore. So I always ask the question, because uh, I, I have to find out, when you sold your first, what, how old were you, or do you remember when you sold your first drawing i wasn't even out of school yet okay 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 so so did you cry a little bit did you were you sad were you happy like i like i like when i got my first sponsorship for the show i was like i, I, I cried i was like i was sitting out on my lawn like in the covid sitting there like damn i'm crying grown-ass man crying like, <laughs> people and like and like my dog looked at me like what's wrong with you i'm like somebody somebody likes what i do but i don't know again so i mean what about you i mean or or would it be that first ping or drawing was like they came with the big flow and you're like, damn, they were they really feeling me. Like, was there any, a situation where you like cried or emotion? Like, damn, I'm really doing it. Like, wow, like a moment where so you got it. So, so I'll let you talk. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, I love that story of you, like, and your reaction. I mean, that's perfect. Like, yeah, like crying tears of joy. Like, that's you need to feel that like you need to embrace like when you're having that emotion because anytime you do something new like there's like an amount of vulnerability that's happening and like to be accepted and then to feel that like wave of just like love like fucking cry man like that's great <laughs> <laughs> it did it, it was what uh, it was it was emotional and then like again I, not, this is not even my story it's your story we're not talking about me let's talk about it. we're not talking about me um, <laughs> thank but, you the first time I sold a drawing, um, I think I was definitely just like, oh, this is really cool. I okay. can like sell work. Um, I don't think I was emotional about anything um, to that extent until I won my first big grant. Okay. And when I won the, uh, the Baltimore um, Municipal Art Society of Baltimore City Travel Prize um, that I wrote a proposal for to go to Japan. Um, when I got the phone call from Lou Joseph of BOPA, um, I definitely, after I got off the call, I like had a little like crying session in the conference room at my old day job. Because it was just, you know, after, you know, putting so much time and effort and like thought into this dream of just like taking this trip that I had been thinking about for a really long time. And then to like have a group of people be like, yeah, that sounds like a really great idea. Here's $6,000 to go make it happen. Mm -hmm. I was just like, holy moly. So yeah, that was definitely a moment where I was like, well, I could, if I could feel like this more often, that would be wonderful. <laughs> hey, I mean, $6,000, $6,000, however you cut it, you know, that's, so do you ended up going to Japan, right? Yep. Went well, to Japan. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, it was, uh, like being in a dream. I don't know. Like I had, um, I had almost won a travel prize to go to Japan my senior year at MICA. 
And so I had already been like sort of planning out and dreaming of the trip then. Um, but then I couldn't take it until what is it? I don't know how many years later that like 16 years later. Um, but it was amazing. Like it was amazing and also very challenging because I was trying not to put a lot of pressure on myself to do it right. Um, you know, I was taking this trip and I had an idea of what I wanted to see while I was there, of the kind of work that I wanted to make. Um, but I was very fortunate that the grant was very open-ended. So they didn't really care what I did once I got there. And so I sort of, you know, didn't have as much pressure as I think I normally would with the grant. But, you know, I was taking a big ass trip and it was the first time I'd ever planned such a trip before. And so I spent like months and months and months researching and laying it out. And then, um, you know, getting off that airplane after like 22 hours of travel <laughs> and you're just in like a, like some other sort of mental zone anyway from the jet lag, but then waking up and being across the world, like on the other side of the world, like, that was some shit. Like, I'm still like, man, I went to Japan. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. You're seeing the world, but yeah. it's something that you like doing something that you never thought you're like, you're writing a grant. And then you're like, you're writing your own grant. Something that you have tried was you've been working on your whole entire life, basically. And then this yeah. comes to fruition. Yeah. That's, that's a great thing. That's a, that's a really great thing. So so did you like link up with any artists over there while you were there? Like, was there a lot of the galleries and museums that you tour that you still, do you still, still stay in contact with anybody over there at all? Or is there any like a connection with you in Japan right now? Yeah, um, I was really fortunate before I left that I had a few friends who uh, introduced me to their friends over there. And so while I was there, I had the opportunity to um, stay with two of them. Um, and then spend the day with uh, one, actually a lot. No, I, I think I had a lot of friends who hooked me up with friends over there. Um, but that was really nice because, um, you know, the one friend was a friend of my friend, Erin Stelmans. Uh, they had, she had met uh, this wonderful man named Yo at uh, grad school in uh, Las Vegas. And he lived with his wife and son um, literally at the base of Mount Fuji. And so, you know, he is an artist who makes um, work that is like deals with ceramics and fiber. And they just moved into a house that had like, like a giant kiln in it. And so I got to see how like, you know, an artist living in like kind of a rural area of Japan is just sort of making it while he has this like gigantic symbol of Japan, like just outside his window. Um, and then I got to hang out, you know, with a family who, uh, you know, both the parents were artists and the father was, uh, um, uh, I guess, a wood artist. He had come to Micah um, many, many years ago to make a giant uh, figure. Um, and so just getting to spend time with people who are also artists and from Japan and like showing me around to different like places, like that was an experience that like you can't pay to have that you have to know the cool people who will link you up with those people um so i felt really fortunate to be able to have sort of that more personalized side of the trip wow that's that's a lot wow i can't wait for, i can't wait for the listeners to listen to this. this this is amazing this is amazing folks this is really really good good stuff we're getting here so tell us about some other things that you know you got going on i mean i know that see i i used to i followed your instagram page because you always had 
cool art exhibits that going on in Baltimore. And you were all like, popping up and things. So I saw something on Instagram that you had an art exhibit out that somebody made it happen for it. And it was on Zoom and things of that nature. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I, I checked it out. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's some cool stuff, that you, pictures that you yeah. were showing up. So go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, this year has been like a real shit year to have anything happen. And probably next year is going to be kind of the same. Um, but I was really fortunate this year that um, my friend Lauren Adams, who is a wonderful artist and also curator, um, she had been working on an idea for a show uh, for like a year and a half. Um, she first contacted me about the show last, I guess it was like uh, April of 2019. But she wanted to do a show this year um, in uh, response to it being the uh, centennial anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Um, and at first, we weren't sure if the show was going to happen, um, you know, because we were like talking earlier in the year and we're like, it, you know, it's a weird time to be trying to have an art show. Um, uh, but then like, as you know, the year was moving along, we were getting to a place where people felt comfortable enough to do like a by appointment or like a low sort of like, you know, not many people are there kind of art gallery visitation. So we were able to do a physical show at the, uh, Carroll Museum. Um, and it was really wonderful because it was a project that really allowed me to sort of focus and, you know, 2020 was a weird ass year to focus on anything. Um, but it was a really awesome opportunity to not only focus and make a new piece of work that would actually be in a show, but it also gave me the opportunity to have Zoom meetings with my uh, two fellow artists, Antonio McAfee and McKinley Wallace III, um, as we were talking about the show and preparing for it. And so like every so many weeks, I would get to get on the phone with McKinley and Lauren and Antonio and just like, you know, chat about the show a little bit, chat about what we're working on, but also just chat about the shit show that was 2020. And, you know, that was a really meaningful experience to have. Um, but today in the Be More Art um, website, they posted their top 10 uh, Baltimore exhibits of the year. And number two on the list was the show. Um, but it's, it's called Rights and Wrongs. Um, and it was just came down about two weeks ago. Okay, okay, okay. And I like I said, when we when I get closer to releases, I'll let everybody know about this and where they can find it and whatnot online. I really appreciate that. It's got so, a great website. So okay. this all is a virtual presence that people could check out. Okay, even better. Even better. When we get off, I I want to make sure I get that website information so I can post it when I release this, release this, release this um episode. Cool. So I know 2020 has been a rough year for, for, for art scene all across the world. I mean, we had it's been rough. I mean, they had the Louvre was free to go in, you know, all the museums are free in the world to go in and do virtual tours this year. Mm. Um, Artscape, you know, that's a big one of the biggest free festivals in America. Uh, I mean, maybe the biggest, I mean, yeah. in Baltimore. And uh, that's a really a big thing for the art community, creative community in Baltimore. Uh, what's the vibe you're getting out there from artists right now? Because, uh, like you said, and I really believe it. I mean, the way things are going right now, I mean, let's be honest, me and you are probably like Z or now for better getting the shot. Okay. Like, <laughs> we're, like, we're like Y and Z on his, on his, on his thing. But, uh, you know, COVID let's start off with how has COVID let's start with how has COVID affected the art scene in Baltimore? Let's start with that. And then we'll go down the list. 
Um, I mean, nothing, nothing could happen. Like no musical performances could happen at the venues. Uh, the BMA has been closed. The Walters Museum has been closed for most of the year. I think galleries, um, like small galleries are, are starting to open like a little bit with like by appointment stuff, but it's not, uh, there's no normalcy right now. There's no ability to plan for something or to look forward to something. Um, and especially a lot of artists who had things scheduled for this year, um, everything got canceled. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of musicians who make their money off of concerts, um, you know, like they're really struggling right now. Uh, you know, I had a show, I've been in two shows this year. One was a solo show at, that was supposed to open the day the city shut down. Mm. Um, and so like, I almost made it in there, but not quite. Um, so it's just, it's just been really weird because everyone's on pause. And in, in I, I have friends who work as registrars in museums and my friend is constantly having to like uh, figure out how to reschedule because like things just keep getting pushed out or postponed or some things can't be. And so there's a constant sort of shuffling that's happening in some institutions. But um, I think everyone's figuring out how to safely navigate the world right now. And, you know, the arts are not generally anyone's priority to begin with when it comes to a lot of funding or support. Um, and so right now, you know, a lot of artists who are, you know, making money, you know, specifically through their art, it's just a really difficult time to do that. Um, so send some love to your local artists because it's a rough ass time. Yeah. I, I know a couple artists that I've had on, they're on a band camp, I think the band camp and then yeah. a lot of them doing for the musical things and whatnot. Is there something like that for artists where like, if you say I'm an artist, you can have a website where you can go and tour my work and you can pay me or is there any way that because I know band camp is kind of stuff for music I don't know if yeah that, do, you, do you guys have anything for yourself um I don't think so I know a few artists that are on patreon that have okay. like patreon accounts um you know and like they'll give you either like insights into their studio for like a few dollars a month or something that that nature I am a patreon supporter of like I support like the Waller gallery my friend Joy Davis runs a uh, outstanding gallery um and so she's got a patreon um that i give a few like a tiny bit of dollars to because like a little bit of dollars can go a long way um you know my friend jason patterson who's out in the chestertown area i give him a few dollars so i have you know some fellow artists who are on like things like patreon um but you know like that's that's kind of that side of like marketing that like gets a little bit like artists still feel a little bit weird about in terms of like, how do we market ourselves? Cause we're not taught. It's a thing we have to like necessarily do. And then it's like, well, how do you market yourself in the middle of a pandemic? Cause that's <laughs> like, that's like next level, you know, sort of like, like what the hell do you do there kind of thing. So, so I don't, I don't think so. I don't think artists have some sort of way to, you know, do like a band camp style thing. What about like all the artists from Artscape? I mean, I mean, that was a, that, that I know that hurt a lot uh, yeah. for the city. I mean, I don't, this is my personal opinion. I don't like, you know, my personal opinion too much on the show, but I don't think you'll ever have Artscape be the same. The reason why I say that is because, you know, who knows when everybody's getting vaccines, who knows? Yeah. How do you, how do you even account for that? How do you even count for that many people outside in a public space and you don't know who 
is who's vaccinated. Like, I mean, like, well, am I going to have a lanyard around my neck saying I got vaccinated? You know, I don't know. So these are, uh, yeah. these are things. And I like, and I've always told a lot of people, I said, 2020, it may have been terrible, but it was time. It was a good time to reflect, reset and figure out, all right, let me figure out how I can make this happen. And like, if you like, just figure out, I got time. Shit, I got a lot of time right now. <laughs> so, so you better figure out something, you know, you better figure out what you can do next. What can I improve myself in? And I, and I think with sadness being the most is kids can't go to art museums anymore. You know, you remember you used to get yeah. drop off the cheese bus and you get dropped off at the art school art museum, but it was cool. It was something that didn't happen no more. That's, that's done. That's yeah. done for, you know, for next year and a half. And yeah. Now, even with so, how do those like how do those museums? How do how are they going to survive? You know, you, you figure it's going to probably have to because something you said that was interesting. It's probably going to go to appointment only. Like really, like you have to do a slot. And the crazy part is, you might have to be in and out by if you one o'clock slot, you got to be gone by three o'clock. Yeah. And they can only allow they only allow every fifteen minutes somebody in. I mean, it sounds kind of productive but you gotta figure out a way to do it you know so yeah yeah I'm I feel you because I don't this is why you know it's such a challenging thing is like if we're in this place of sort of pause and uncertainty like how do you plan and like artscape is the type of thing that requires a substantial amount of planning so you know like you know obviously they're not they can't really make any decisions about that right now but I'm sure up until like May of next year, they're going to be figuring out like, is this a thing we can do or not? And like, you're right that like a lot of, um, a lot of vendors who will pop up at Artscape, like I know so many people that will make the bulk of their yearly salary selling their wares at Artscape. And it's, you know, that's a big loss. That's a huge loss to a lot of people to not be able to do that. But you know, we're just not in a position right now where hanging out with each other is really a healthy, safe thing to do quite yet. So it sucks. I I, I, I get it. It's 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 a, it's a mind boggling. But we're gonna know, go to the down to the speed round. Okay, this is they're off the hook. You're sweating <laughs> over there. You know, we're going to the speed round. Everybody likes this round. Okay, so this is this is us all. I do it differently for everybody. So I, I, it all depends on who I am interviewing. Who are your favorite? Who are your top five favorite artists? It could be anything. It could be music arts. It can be a drawing. It can be anything you want. Oh, see, I only I only heard it as like visual artists. Um, oh, yeah. I threw a curveball in there. I threw a curveball. That's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> well, I know right now my top visual artist this year has been Via Salmons who had an amazing show at uh, the uh, Metropolitan Breyer last year. Um, so that was like one of the last museum shows I got to see before it shut down. Um, but she's like my, she's like my ultimate, you know, she is raised up on the pedestal of artists. Um, and also um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Joseph Albers who, you know, he does a lot of work that doesn't look anything like mine, but I love his philosophy. Like he was a big teacher um, and he taught a lot about uh, how teaching somebody how to see creates a greater amount of empathy in that person. Um, and that's just, you know, something that everybody should really like live by. Um, but like musicians wise, 
Um, man, I don't know. This is, having a favorite is always a little bit of a challenge for me because I like I like to listen to so many different things. Um, but I know right now I'm definitely on a Megan Thee Stallion kick. Like uh, okay, okay, I, okay. Like I I love her right now. <laughs> um, but I'm also you know like whenever Ryan puts something on, that tends to usually listen to that for like a few days. Um, and he just played uh, not that long ago, the new album for, um, oh man, now I'm going to forget their name. Oh, he's going to be so mad. Uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I forgot it. This is why I never remember my favorite artist. Cause I'm <laughs> like, who do I like? I don't know. Um, I mean, you were dancing to somebody the other day. I don't know who you. Oh, know. Mariah Carey. She's <laughs> always a top. Ever, she's always up there. Mariah Carey. Yeah. Like you can't not dance when Heartbreaker comes on. <laughs> <laughs> so dead or alive. Now, this is a true like artist, like a visual artist. Who would you want to work with? Louise Bourgeois. Okay. All right. Because she's right. just such a badass. Okay. Coolest project you've ever worked on. Uh, I'm going to say the cranky that I made for the creative Alliance annual cranky festival. Um, I did a thing that I partnered with, uh, David Ross, um, who did a spoken word piece with it. And that was really cool. Cause I got to stand on a stage and show people my art. Um, and that performative aspect is something that I really enjoy a lot. Okay. Performative, okay. Performative art. Okay. Have you ever been art? Bizelle? Bizelle? Uh, I have not. Um, okay. I hear that it's awesome and that there's lots of parties, but I've just never, it's an expensive trip to take. And I've just never been able to do that just yet. But one day I'm going to go down there. Nice. Do we, I mean, I know it's not under speed round. Do we have an art festival in Baltimore? Again, besides Artscape, like something like a, like a cool, like art festival, just strictly. Um, I don't think so. I think there's been That's lots fun. of like talks of trying to do one, but I don't think there's like a watch there be one now. And then everyone's going to be like, Aaron, why did you not know about this thing? <laughs> I think Baltimore has a, has, has a, has a different, different rhythm, different vibe. I think it'd be pretty cool. I think you got the corridor corridor right now, North Avenue. I think it'd be, you have so many cool things in the area. You can make it really hot and popping. Um, where is the best crab kick in Baltimore? Coco's. All right. All right. What is your favorite hiking or biking trail? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Lake Montebello. I live right by it. It is beautiful. Can't, can't go wrong. What is the best advice you've ever received? Oof, this one had me thinking. I was, you know, trying to remember what was good. I had a, I had a teacher in college um, who told me that I was stubborn. <laughs> but then she was like, keep that stubbornness. She's like, it will serve you well. And it was the first time I've ever had a teacher tell me to stay stubborn. And so I think that's great advice, especially for a woman artist to have. So I stay stubborn. I like that. I like that. I like that. Where can we find you on social media? Are you all on the TikTok? I don't know. I mean, there's so many <laughs> daggone things right now. I don't even know. There's a clubhouse. There's everything oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. So where, 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 can, where can we find you on social media, your, your dot coms? So we can come out and support you. I, well, I've recently just pared down my social media because I'm trying to get more brain space, but I am on Instagram at Aaron Fostel. And then my website is www.aaronfostel.com. 
Nice, nice, nice. And and in 2021, where can we find you? Where can we find you? Anything going on that you that you can talk about? Maybe any projects going on? Oh Lord, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it, <laughs> just trying to make it into 2021. I have I have a very deep need to just get my art out of my studio, and so I think if like I can't find something that is happening that I can apply for, I'm probably just going to end up like renting a truck and just driving my drawings around the neighborhoods around Baltimore just hey, to so get it out. That's that's the hustle right there. Hey, that's, <laughs> that's the right mobile uh, art on wheels. I like that. <laughs> I like that. And what I will do is, folks, I, I'm, I'm so excited. Again, it's an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you sharing us your story and giving us a little background of what, how you got to where you are right now. And really appreciate it. And you're doing some positive things in Baltimore. And we want to salute you for coming on the show. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And yeah. any last words you want to say before you sign off? Uh, no, this was great. I appreciate being on here. I listened to the show and it'll be uh, cool to hear the new season. Oh, no, 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 no doubt. It's the, it's the mixtape. It's going to be hot. <laughs> but on the note, folks, love, peace, happiness. We're out. <laughs>